Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Five. Uh, I am, I have, um, we're going to have communion, it's communion Sunday. Uh, we're going to have communion, the Lord's table at the end of services this week, uh, is how we're going to do it. And uh, I, I have, um, we're going to teach the word and then we're going to actually receive the Lord's table. I'm continuing in our message series, Words from Above, where we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. You, you, you see that? A Sermon on the, on the Mount. Words from Above. See that? See the? See that? See that? See that? Okay. Well, there you go. There you go. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13. reading out of the New American Standard Bible. The Word of God says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? Is it no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And we trust, Lord, that you would bless the reading of your word and the teaching of your scriptures and the gathering of your saints in the house of God this morning. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. Thank you, Michael, David. I, I, um, I received this word from Duke, uh, and the Lord has been speaking to me as such about what he wants to do. And what I have found one of the most difficult and hindering things and being a true follower of Christ is forgetting what is behind and looking forward to what is new. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, we, you know, when you first get saved, you uh, walk in this grace bubble. You walk in this bubble and everything seems so easy. Life gets easy. You're so overjoyed. And then one day, an old thing creeps up in your heart and you're like, oh, there it is again. And uh, the more you live, the more things you have to deal with. And uh, it's easy to listen to the enemy and for him to tell you that nothing changed when you got saved. You're back to the old stuff. And, and, and so you start living this new life in Christ with the mind you had before you had Christ. Does that make sense? Instead of recognizing that you walked in this grace bubble and now you're equipped to deal with the things that you were not equipped to deal with before, 
But now that you're actually able to defeat those enemies, uh, but, but, but we don't have a renewed mind, so we look at our old struggles the same way now that we did before we had Jesus. And so as, as I walk uh, in Christ, as I, as I get older in Christ, the more I am praying and asking that He would renew my mind. I need my mind to be renewed because it's so easy to let your mind get away from you. It's so easy to let the cares of this world and the struggles of this day get away from you. It's so easy to forget that the God of heaven and earth is on your side. It's, it's so easy to forget words like Duke brought today or words that the Lord speaks to you or words that jump out of the Bible because we see the reality around us with our natural eyes. And so it's easy to forget that we're supposed to be looking at things through our spirit eyes. And God's truth is more true than whatever we see, hear, and feel. And so I, 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 need, like, there, I need to focus on what God has said to me. Sometimes I will just find myself, maybe, maybe you're more sanctified than me, I'll find myself in the shower having arguments with people who aren't in the shower with me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then I got to tell myself, Carl, focus. This is not helpful. This is, this is not helpful. Sometimes I'll come out of the shower and my, Trace, and my wife, Tracy, will be like, uh, who are you fighting in the shower today? And I'm like, nobody. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea what you're talking about. And we get distracted. Oh, now, now, now I'm sailing. I've got to bring me back a little bit. I'm, I'm getting loud. Bring it down. Here we go. And so, and so sometimes we get, we get distracted and our mind gets away from us and we have to tell ourselves, you know, to focus. And what, what some people do is they, 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 they teach that to overcome maybe anxiety or to overcome fear or overcome things, you just get some scriptures and you just keep repeating them to yourself, right? And so the enemy comes and you just keep yelling at him with these scriptures. And then like, I don't know if you've noticed, but for a lot of times that doesn't work. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It doesn't, has anybody tried to fight like anxiety by saying the same scripture over and over again? And it just becomes a mantra, right? And there's a certain peace that you can get by repeating a mantra in all the New Age religions have, have figured this out, right? If you just say the same thing over and over again, it just becomes a mantra, and, and that does something to your brain chemistry that just gets you not focusing on what you're anxious on and distracts you. That's not the Holy Ghost, right? That's just something that the world has recognized our brain, God helped our brain to do, right? Like we're created that when we focus on positive things instead of negative things, and we're a little better, but then the anxiety comes right back, right? What, 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 and so the church gives us these remedies that aren't actually remedies. I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't learn the word, right? It's, it's, it's not just what, what comes out of your mouth. It's what goes into your heart that's causing the anxiety. And so you can bring things out of your mouth a lot, but until it gets in your heart, it's not really going to be all that effective, right? And so what we really need is a renewed mind. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, and this, 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 um, my message today may seem um, maybe a little pedantic. It may seem that it drags on a little bit, but I'm actually going somewhere. I'm trying to lay a foundation. Because of this, the church keeps teaching people what to think. When you get anxious, say this. When you get depressed, say that. They keep trying to tell you what to think, and it's really the job of the minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to teach you how to think. We need, to, we need renewed minds because we need to think in new ways. Amen? Is anybody tracking with me right now? We need to know how to discern the voice of God. I don't need somebody else always telling me what God is saying. 
I need to know how to position my life so I can walk in God's will and walk in his blessing. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And so we need we need to learn how to think, not what to think. And the most toxic churches in America today are constantly trying to tell people what to think about various issues of the day instead of teaching how to discern the word of God and to apply that to your life and your relationships. Amen. Amen. And so so I want to talk a little bit about how how to think. Now, the, the Bible is really clear on what the point of our lives is. It's, it's really clear, but we have to learn how to discern what the word teaches. The, 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 the people who are most biblically illiterate, I have found, are people who listen to nobody uh, but their pastor. They've not actually learned how to study the scriptures. They don't learn how to actually exegete the scriptures. And what I have found in my life is most Christians believe whatever their first pastor believed. They get, they, they, they get the first church that they're a part of. Their pastor has a certain belief system. They learn that belief system, and then that's all there is. They have no recognition that there are Christians who believe slightly different things about some of the same things. They have no idea how to discern the word. They have no idea how to hear the voice of God. All they know is their pastor gave them a box to live in, and they have decided the rest of their lives that's the Jesus box, and they live in it. Now, why am I telling you this? Because I don't want you to listen to me. No, no, see, this is the one church where you can do that. See, you can just totally blindly listen to me. You don't have to evaluate anything I'm saying. You don't have to judge it or discern it. Just go ahead and listen to me and your life will be... No, but what I am trying to say is what I'm trying to teach you to do is how to think, how to hear God. I want to teach you who Jesus is so when he speaks, you can recognize his voice. Because I am incapable of preaching everything that will happen in your life and tell you how to respond to it. That's what religion promises you. Religion promises you, I will give you a formula, and if you live by the formula I give you, you won't have problems. See, what I'm giving you is the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ who knows all things, who will baptize you in His Spirit, and His Spirit will teach you all things you need to learn. So by His Spirit, you can come into an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ where He lives inside of you, and you can say, in Him I live and move and have my being. I know the mind of Christ, and my mind is being transformed, being transformed into his mind. It's being renewed by his thought process and his spirit that I may live in him. Amen. This is my goal for you. My goal for you is that wherever life takes you, you will have an intimate relationship with the living God. And so we have to learn how to discern what the Bible teaches. So I'm going to do two things today. I'm going to teach a little bit on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to teach a little bit about how to read the Bible and figure out what Jesus is saying. Is that all right? And so so we have what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Watch this, uh, because it's a sermon that Jesus gave on a mount, right? Okay, so so we recognize that that Jesus um, is on the Mount giving a sermon. Now, as you read this sermon, it's super easy to pick out one verse or one half a sentence and come to conclusions that that is the point of the whole thing. But, but, the, but the scriptures, the, the religious teachers, historically are philosophers first, right? And so, so in the Catholic Church, if you want to be ordained as a priest, you have to get your undergraduate degree in philosophy, and then you go to seminary. Because if you don't understand philosophy, 
you will not understand how the Scriptures are structured. The Scriptures are structured much like a, 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 a logical argument uh, or a philosophic argument, and I'm going to kind of talk about that in a second. In philosophy, an argument consists of a set of statements called premises that serve as grounds for affirming another statement called the conclusion. Are you with me? There is a premise, then there is a conclusion. The simplest form of a deductive argument is this, if you would, Anastasia. You have premise one, premise two, conclusion. You may not know that you see this everywhere, but this is what all arguments consist of. Premise one, premise two, conclusion. There may be far more premises, might be one premise. The premise may be a lie, but this is how it works, right? So, so, so this is kind of, um, con the conclusion often starts with like a, thus, or therefore, or this means, or that's why, right? So you have this, these premises, then you have the conclusion. Let me give you a, a very simple one, if I could put it up here, Anastasia. Honesty and trust are foundations of a healthy marriage. It takes time and intentionality to build trust. Therefore, healthy marriages take time and intentionality. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah. Premise one, honesty and trust are foundations of a healthy marriage. When we do marriage counseling, if we see that they don't trust one another or people are liars and they wonder why your marriage is falling apart, it's because honesty and trust are foundations of a health, healthy marriage. You have to live a trustworthy life and you have to be honest with your spouse. Also, I know that it takes time and intentionality to build trust. Young, immature love, you fall in love, but you don't really have the trust. You haven't built it over time. So you give all your trust away and you get hurt because you blindly just think this person loves you as much as you love you, and, uh, and everything's going to work out perfectly, right? But, but real trust takes time, right? And so, therefore, healthy marriages take time and intentionality. You have to want to be a good spouse on purpose. One of the things we find out when we get married is that everything that we do perfectly, other people do perfectly different. And, uh, and we try to get our spouse to do things perfectly the way we do them because clearly we do them because it's the perfect way to do them. And so we have fights about things just because people have come to conclusions without intentionally coming to conclusions. Are, are, are you following me? We just live our lives and don't think about it. And we just come to any conclusions that we've come to without intentionally understanding why. Then we meet someone who does things very differently, has a very different outlook because God brings your opposite because you need your other half, and then we fight to keep our other half from changing us, right? And then we wonder why we have marriage problems. Hello, just, just receive that and, and incorporate it into your marriage. Again, next slide, please, Anastasia. Again, it's premise one, premise two, conclusion. Do you, are we getting this? Now, you may hear it in our speech, we say it conclusion, premise one, premise two. We may say something like, healthy marriages take time and intentionality. Because honesty and trust are foundations of a healthy marriage, and it takes time and intentionality to build that. See? So we often put the conclusion first and afterwards, but in an argument, what you do is you put your premise, and then your other premise, then your conclusion. The entire Sermon on the Mount is coming to one point. This is what I'm trying to teach you. Sermon on the Mount takes about three chapters, and it's all building towards one conclusion. Now, the, the scriptures, the, 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 the rabbis of the day were philosophers, and so they spoke in philosophical frameworks. And if you don't understand that the writers of the New Testament were deeply trained in this type of rhetoric, 
then you will miss the conclusions that the scriptures are coming to. Uh, we have to understand how they're written. Again, this is how they talk in philosophy and academia. In order to understand the conclusion, we have to understand the premises. And so when people enter grad school, I like to tell them, because they start reading and you're like, oh my gosh, I have a 400-page book. It's written in an academic format and I am lost. And I tell people, and if you're going into grad school, just kind of tuck this away, you want to read the introduction of a book or a research paper, then you want to read the conclusion, then you read the book so you know where you're going. Does this make sense? Because what will happen is uh, uh, people, people, people will um, they'll have premise one, and then they give all the arguments against premise one, and they tell you why all those arguments against premise one are wrong, and then they'll go on to premise two. And then they might state all the parts of the second. This is how the scriptures are written. There's a premise, and then Paul will often talk about people who don't agree with it, and he'll tell why they're wrong, and he'll sarcastically talk about how people misappropriate it, and then he'll move on to his next point, right? And, and, and this, is, this is, if you read the book of Ephesians, the entire book of Ephesians is written so that people will walk in unity, not thinking that anybody is above anybody else. And Paul spends four and a half, five chapters giving premises and examples of how now in the new covenant, we're all equal, and he tears apart the arguments against it, how under the old covenant, people were getting it wrong, in the end, trying to teach, hey, church in Ephesus, you need to walk in unity. It's a letter. You have to read the entire letter to get it. You can't just pick out lines here and there. Are you following me? And so this sermon, if you were to pick out one line out of my sermon that I'm preaching today, you could preach something entirely opposite to the point I'm trying to make. Right? That's an argument from fallacy. It's a, it's a, it's a logical fallacy there to do that. Uh, and so what, what we need to understand is that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is giving one sermon and it's all coming to a point. And we can pull one line or one little argument and miss the greater point of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, last week I taught on the Beatitudes. Remember that? Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor. You remember these things, right? Now, the Beatitudes were the introduction to Paul's sermon. This was his intro. Right. So in, in, in his intro, he's telling you what is the life that God calls blessed. That, that's what the that's what the Beatitudes were. They were the intro. Jesus giving a sermon on the mount and the intro to his sermon were the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are like, hey, I want to paint a picture for you of what a blessed life looks like. And then, you know, he says, you know, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the peaceful, the pure in heart. Then he starts giving an argument toward a conclusion. He starts laying out premises. He's like, okay, you want to be blessed, right? I want to be blessed. You want to be blessed? So Jesus says, this is what the blessed life is. And then he starts giving some premises to come to conclusion on how to live a blessed life. Are, are you following me? Is this making sense? Am I arguing this logically? Is anybody tracking? Or am I, am I losing you? Okay, good, 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 good. I'm not just here to get you happy. I'm here to teach you the word of God. Amen. So, so we've got to use our brains a little bit. And so we, we talked last week about the, the, the introduction to the sermon. Here's the conclusion. Let me, let me give you the cliff notes. The, the conclusion to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is found all the way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything you do to others, what you have them do to you for... I'm going to start again because apparently I can't read. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you for this is the law and 
the prophets. So in everything you do, do to others the way you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So that is where we're going with everything Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount. Everything he's saying in the Sermon on the Mount leads to the golden rule. But you will not understand the golden rule if you don't understand the premises he's making leading up to that conclusion. You'll find out do to others means something different. And what you do can mean something different. Others is different. You, you have to read. He's defining these terms in the, in the sermon so that when you come to the conclusion, you know the point he's making. Are we tracking? Excellent. So Jesus is making a point, and he's going somewhere, and he's teaching us how to go there. Now, at, at um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, right before he starts talking, the Bible says that um, Jesus was with his disciples, and he went up to a mountain, and they had to go after him. Now, to understand the things of God, you may have to put in a little effort to go track with Jesus. See, he's going up on a mountain, and those who heard this blessed sermon, the sermon that's been preached more than any sermon in the history of humankind, there were people at the bottom of a small mountain who missed it because they wouldn't put in the effort to come up to where Jesus was to hear his words. And so if you want to hear the words of Jesus for your life, you may need to climb a few mountains. You may have to ask where Jesus is and go after him. You may have to lay down some things and pick up some things. You may have to wake up early, crack open your Bible and get in it. You may need to look up some things in a commentary. You may need to ask some people some stuff. You may need to get an accountability partner to, to, to shed some sin. You're going to have to put in a little bit of effort sometimes to figure out where Jesus is in your life. And, and, and this is, this is um, a model of what Moses did. If you remember, Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, the law of God. And so as Moses went up on the mountain to hear from God and to receive the word and bring it down to the people, uh, we, we see this new Moses, Jesus, the deliverer, who's up on the mountain and then we see the disciples who are the new Moses, those who go up the mountain to receive the word of the Lord and bring it back down to the people. Every time you go up the mountain of God to hear from God, you have received the word for the people who are unable to get to the mountain to hear from God. Are you with me? See, this is it. We are this new Moses who go up on the mountain to get the word. Now, clearly, Moses brought down the Bible. None of us are writing the Bible. Praise God. We don't have that kind of weight on us. That's a burden I can't carry. But we are invited to come and ascend to the mountain of the Lord and to receive the word. The, the, the difference here as we, as we read this, there was a crowd that was following Jesus. But only the disciples went up onto the mountain to get the word and bring it down. Real disciples figure out where Jesus is and they receive the word of the Lord from him. Some followed Jesus to get blessed he was doing healings. He was doing miracles. They were seeing amazing things. And so some were following him just to get blessed. But others came to be disciples so they could be blessed. Now, if you're looking to get blessed by Jesus, you've got a, a financial problem or you've got a relational problem or you've got an emotional problem. God is absolutely in the blessing business. This is who he is. Amen. And there's nothing wrong with seeking a blessing from God in your life, but it's greater to seek to be blessed. It's greater to be a person who is blessed, who walks in the blessing of God, who can carry the blessing to other people. The goal is to, instead of just get a blessing, but 
to be a blessing. Again, I want to tell you, don't strive to get a blessing. Live a life that is blessed. Don't just strive to get a blessing. Live a life that is blessed. You see, I'm blessed. I am blessed. And it doesn't matter what people say about me. Because God said that those who bless me will be blessed. And those who curse me will be cursed. I have not seen Duke. I've been in ministry for a minute. I've never seen people who tried to curse me. It did not work out well for. I have not, I've seen it time and time and time again. I have, because I'm blessed. I'm blessed and I walk in blessings. And those who bless me get blessed. Are you blessed? You want to be blessed. You want to live a life that is blessed. You want to live a life that things may not look right now, but I am blessed, so they will wind up good in the end. This is, this is a life I want to walk in. Yeah, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I know that I am blessed. And there are times in my life that that has been tried and stretched, and I have to remind myself, Carl, no, 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 you are blessed. I got a prophetic word out of a prophet who, um, who reached out to me last week, and he's like, um, hey, I, I, have a, I have an important prophetic word for you. I'm like, all right, I'm down. I'm, I'm down. I, could, I don't know about you. I could use a word, be it, be it corrective or, or, or be it uh, encouraging. I'll take it either way because if it's, if, it's if it's corrective, that means I'm, I'm, I'm going in a direction that's not blessed. I want to know about that. Amen. I got to love truth. Got to be a lover of truth. He called me up. And he's like, I have a word. It's burning. I had to call you and tell it to you. I was like, all right, yeah, let me have it. He said, you cannot forget your identity in Jesus Christ. You cannot forget the blessing that he has on your life. And you've got to walk in that blessing so that others can be blessed. Amen. I said, amen, 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 amen. I receive it. He was, it was irritating him. He had to tell me. And then I said, all right, I receive that. And then warfare broke out. Now you say, oh, okay, the devil comes when you get a blessing. No, no, the, the enemy was coming. I got a blessing before he came. Amen. amen. So you, we look at it all wrong. Oh, I got this extra money. And then the bill came and I lost it. Oh, no, 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 the bill was coming. And the Lord unbless you for the bill. Right? The, the warfare was coming and God's like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just drop a little identity in Carl. So as he goes through, I'm like, I'd be like, devil, I don't know what you're trying to do. I'm blessed. I don't know what you, I don't know what you think you're going to accomplish here in between my ears because I'm already blessed. I already got the hand of the Lord on my life. He's already taken the coal from the altar and put it on my tongue. I don't know what you think you're going to accomplish. I, I, like, I, you know, try to get me to look at people. I'm like, sorry, people didn't bless me. God did. Man didn't, the man didn't give me the anointing. Man can't take it away. Amen. I, what I got, I got from God. And so I was able to walk through this really like it was, I'm just, when Duke gave me this word and then he got sick, I was like, Psh, that confirmed it for me. I'm just like, that's what I'm walking in right now. And so I'm walking through the trouble and I'm looking at the trouble like that, that if I wouldn't save, that would be worrisome. If I didn't know Jesus, that'd be a problem. However, I know that on the other side of this trial, Jesus is right there just like he is right now. And I'm blessed. Amen. See, I'm, 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 I am blessed. And so Jesus is on this mountain. He's trying to build a distinct community. And so this Sermon on the Mount is leading to the golden rule, but it's about how to be righteous, how to live righteous. And, and if you're taking notes, here's what you want to get out of this. Righteousness is living within the will of God. That, that's, that's the biblical definition of righteousness. Living within the will of God. And, and Jesus is saying a key to righteousness is treating people the way you want to be treated. Watch this. Understanding you are a child of God. Hear me. Righteousness 
is connected to how you treat other people. And we can get this wrong and we need, to, we, need to, we need to work this out because for a long time in our holiness Pentecostal tradition, all we looked at righteousness was what I do with my body, what I say, what I, it's me and God. How It's my personal sin. But Jesus, as we read the Sermon on the Mount, your righteousness is connected to how you treat other people. Let's take a look at the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that, of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, for us in today's language as Christians, we talk so bad about the Pharisees and the scribes, that's easy for us to get. But we don't recognize that these were the who's who of the church. They were the only people considered truly righteous, the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus is like, you've got to be more righteous than them. And, 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 and like, what? And so I, I bring this up to show you here is the premise that Jesus is building up to in this little section of Scripture that we're reading today. We are to treat other people the way we want to be treated as children of God. So this is, this is um, Jesus wasn't saying just don't be a hypocrite. Jesus wasn't just saying be nice to people because you want people to be nice to you. And you get to define what nice is. And whatever you want, as long as you treat people that way, it's okay. That's not what he's teaching here. To take that from the scripture is to say, I've taken one little verse and I'm using it for my own purposes. So, so, so maybe, maybe, maybe you like to get drunk in bar fights and you're like, well, I like that so I can go get in drunk in bar fights. I'm treating people the way I want to be. No, that is, that is not how a child of God behaves. That's, that's not how they behave. That's not acting like a child of God. So if you are a child of God, how do you treat people knowing that you are the one who went on the mountain to hear the sermon and you're bringing the sermon back down to the earth? Being that person in that Christian identity, how then do you want to be treated since you are a child of God? The key to your righteousness is treating other people that way. That's different than what we're taught about righteousness. You'll know... If you're a righteous person, you'll behave like a child of God toward other people. This, as an Enneagram 8, sometimes is a bit of a challenge for me. Uh, Maybe you're like me in that there's parts of your personality that are less grace-giving than other parts of your personality. Maybe you call them perfectionism. Maybe, maybe, maybe you call it, you know, just wanting things done right. Maybe, maybe you say you don't suffer fools lightly. Maybe, maybe you're just tired... Maybe you just wonder why everybody around you is so stupid and cannot do things well, and it frustrates you a little bit. Maybe, maybe you don't understand why people don't get it, and that—that's uh, anybody know what I'm talking about? I hope since last week you've been trying to, you know, how, how do I just be better? How do I just how do I just be better? And and you'll know you're righteous based on how you treat people if you act like you're a child of God in those conflicts. And Jesus uses a couple examples in building his premise. The first example he uses is salt. Now, there's a lot of teachings on this. We find it in Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? If no longer, it is no longer food, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, salt had two basic uses 
in the, in the, in the New Testament era. Number one, it was used for flavoring. Uh, you could tell certain ethnic groups don't need a lot of flavor because flavor, they don't use enough spices. But, but salt, is, salt brings out the flavor. Things taste better at the restaurant because they use about five times more salt than you use. That's, that's eating out it has billions times more sodium than what you use at home. That's why they say prepackaged food, you're not supposed to eat it or eat out too much. Why? Because they dump salt on things that makes it taste better. When you do your little three shakes of salt, you're not really doing anything, right? What you're telling yourself is now it's seasoned, I'm good to go. No, it's not seasoned. It needs more seasoning. Put the seasoning on the meat, please, right? So it was used for, it was used for seasoning, but it was also used for preserving meat, right? So, so it's not like you sprinkled it, like they shoveled salt. They'd shovel and they'd have to pack it with salt, and it preserved it. And so, so as a Christian, you could say, Jesus was alluding to the fact that we're supposed to flavor the world with righteousness and that we're supposed to prevent its corruption by be a, a preserving voice to hear God. And, and, and all that, all that is, is good, and I wouldn't say no, but I don't believe Jesus was having a, a chemistry discussion here. Um, there, there's, a, there's an aspect to this that would throw you off a little bit. Um, it doesn't really make any sense that salt can lose its saltiness. Now, there's lots of teachings on how you use it, and it, if it's not salty, then it's not salt, right? It's like dry water, right? You can't have dry water, right? There's either water or there's not, right? So there's just one or the other. And so in, 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 in the Aramaic, uh, the word for tastelessness, it's a play on words. It's a, it's a homily. And so the word, Jesus spoke Aramaic, of course, and so the word for tasteless is also foolish. It's the same word, and tasteless food is foolish, yeah. right? But the, the concept of a saltless salt is foolish, right? So now Jesus, I want you to check this out. Jesus is building an argument here, talking about that which is foolish. Like, this is just silly. This will make no kind of sense. Like, it's like salt that's not salty. And you're like, oh, well, oh, oh, okay, that, that's, that makes sense. So it's, it's silly to think that salt can lose its saltiness, all right? So he uses this salt that it's foolishness, right? And then he uses, after salt, he talks about light. He does his teaching on light, and again, people break this out, but Jesus is building towards a premise to his ultimate conclusion. So here he starts talking about light, Matthew 5, 14 and 16. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and give, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Now, lamps in that day were basically a bowl, a wooden bowl or, or, or pottery filled with oil with a little bit of cloth in the middle that would burn in the midst of it. It would, it would float. And so he talks about this, this, this lampshade, and he's like, why would you get a light? You have the oil that you paid money for. You have the wick that you paid money for. You light it and then put a lid over it. That would be, watch this, foolish. See, that would, be, that, that, that would be foolish. It's not really a light if it's not lighting anything. Right? So a light in a ball is not a light at all. Right? Jesus is saying that, that that's foolish. And he's talking to people while they're on a hill. They're on the top of the mountain saying, you are the light of the world. You're now a city on a hill. This is who we are to be as Christians. We, the people of God, are to be a city on a hill bringing light. 
And light, importantly, nobody looks at the light. Light illuminates other things. Are, are you with me? Light illuminates other things. So he's not saying you are to be the light so that everybody's looking at you. I don't know. We don't stare into the sun. I have lights shining on me right now, and if I look at them for a moment, I won't see any of you for five minutes, right? We don't stare into the lights. We let the light illuminate other things. And so Jesus said that we're supposed to be a city on a hill, a light to the world. That means that we are supposed to be illuminating the work of God in the world. We are to be lights in the world so that people can see what Jesus is doing. Otherwise, we're not really being righteous. Jesus is defining what righteous is here. And part of being righteous is to be a light in the world. Righteousness includes, being, includes shining in a way that people know God is alive. Likewise, in salt, righteousness includes being salt to the world around us. This is the argument Jesus is making. Righteousness includes being salt to the world around us. In the same way, righteousness includes shining in a way that people know God is alive. Amen. It's not getting people to vote a certain way or to hate a certain group of people or to have a certain government. It is behaving in a way that people say, wow, God must truly be alive. This, this Jesus calls righteous. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you be light in a way to show people that God is among us? Well, well tell your testimony. What have you received from Jesus? Not in telling what people to do, but in telling people what God has done for you. Now, a lot of times we give people a testimony. Uh, we tell them what we experienced and then we tell them they have to do the same thing to get the blessing. That's not being a light. That's you wanting the light on you. Now, God may give you a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. As you mature in Christ and you disciple enough people, you start picking up some wisdom and you start telling people, hey, you need to do this, that, and the other. So we're not talking about not being discipled, but we are saying that when you give your testimony, you reawaken what God did in you, that same anointing that worked on you and brought that transformation, as you begin to speak about it, that light begins to glow on what God did in your life. And when people see Jesus, he'll show them what he wants to do in their life. Because now you have illuminated Jesus. It's like you're in a dark alley with the world. And the world is standing in this dark alley and they, and they can't find their way out. All they know is there's this one spotlight and you're underneath it. And you're just pointing to the spotlight and you say, hey, I want to let you know something. There is, there is a way out of this darkness and his name is Jesus. And as you're talking, telling people what Jesus did for you, you're moving out of the spotlight and then they look over there and there's Jesus standing in the spotlight. You are illuminating Jesus for their life on how God can transform them the way he's transformed you. This is the supernatural power God has given you to connect other people with Jesus Christ, who is the light. It's that simple. You don't have to talk them into anything. You don't have to argument, argue them out of anything. All you need to do is share your testimony. And, and, and you are light in the, the world. You just work God into your conversations. This, this, I'm having so many um, divine appointments with people needing counseling because they live bifurcated lives. They have their Christian life and then they have their secular life. And, and that's not blessed. Be you everywhere. And let all of you become more righteous. 
I, uh, I feel, how do I say this? Men, men have these competitions that we have, right? We, but but it, it often has, has to do with things we have no ability to change, like, you know, who's the tallest, who's the strongest, and, and, and so, <laughs> just fastest, dumb things like that, right? Uh, and then as you get older, it's who has more money or um, who, who, can, who can operate in more sin, you know, these, these, these kinds of things. Women, y'all, 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 y'all compete on ways that don't even make, make sense to me. I got to be honest with you. The way y'all compete with each other, men would dip out of that a long time ago. Okay, fellas, I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. I was here. My wife's going to make fun of me now. I shouldn't have done I was a spy at the women's gathering. I was serving. I ran the tech. I wanted to, I, I wanted to like, they had these women um, who were scheduled to run the tech, and I decided I wanted to, I really wanted to be a blessing so none of them, so they could just receive. So I ran the whole tech booth during the women's gathering, and they started with um, an icebreaker. And the icebreaker was they made a big circle, right? And already the guys would be like, yeah, no, I'm good. No, I'm, why are we doing the circle? Check this out. So they stood in a big circle. Then they asked questions so they could, what was the point? To see what they have in common. Fellas don't care, right? And so they would say things like, I don't know. Who has a dog? And the people who have a dog would step in the middle of the circle and say, I have a dog. And everybody like, oh, you have a dog. That's great. Things like that. And they're like having the best time. And I'm like, who cares? I like... Fellas, fellas can hang out an entire afternoon and not learn each other's name. Like we're, and we're good. We're, we're good. We're like, oh, it's my, 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 my Mexican homie. You know, it's like, oh, hey, what's up, tall dude? What's up, man? I mean, half the time I see my neighbors, I'm like, hey, neighbor. Like been there eight years. You know, I'm like, nah, fellas don't need to like, we're perfectly fine. Like, yeah, yeah, we're just, yeah. He's like, hey, what's up, braids? Yeah, all right, man. Come on, man. Come on, homie. Yeah. You know, and so, so. There, there's this thing where, where women, it's it like, but, but, but at the same point, women want to be known. Like, like if I had a men's group tonight, like I would have to tell people if we're going to do anything that required shoes because they like show up in flip-flops or like just shorts and they wouldn't, they wouldn't care. You have a women's gathering. Oh, it's, it's like you're going to a prom. It's like they're going to the ball. Like they're like, they, like women don't dress up for men. They dress up for women. I don't know if you know that. Dudes are like, if you didn't want that attention, why are you dressed like that? She ain't dressing for you, bruh. She's dressing for the other women. This is, who, this is who she's getting her eyebrows done for because you don't notice. This is, she ain't waxing for you. They ain't for you. That's for other women. She didn't get that bag to impress you. She got that bag to impress other women. You don't know if those shoes are dollar store shoes or they're Jimmy Choo's. You don't even know who Jimmy is. You think he owns a Chinese restaurant. You don't know. Women dress for other women, and, and, and so this, this, this gift of connectedness is exactly where the devil comes to divide women. So they'll go spend way too much time getting dressed and put their outfit and come home and constantly worry if they said the wrong thing, or constantly worry, come on, I'm preaching to somebody right now, come home and you think, oh, did I look bad, oh no, my shirt was, and I'm like, I'm like uh, you know, I get dressed in the morning, my wife's like, oh, you got to pull that, 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 that one pant leg down a half inch. I'm like, I could care less. I'm going to drive. I'm going to go. It'll fall. Gravity will take care of it. Whatever. It's not a big problem to me. But women, it's a really, really big deal on how they're known. And that's how the enemy also comes at them. Hello. And so you, you are this Christian person in church, and then you will morph into something else in a different friend group. 
Now, are you righteous or are you trying to be righteous? Like, are you trying to get blessed or are you blessed? Because if you are blessed, you would want to let the people around you know so that you could be a blessing to them around you. But the enemy wants you to not tell people about your testimony, not tell people about what God has done in your life, because he wants you to fear their acceptance more than God's righteousness. This is how the devil works. I keep telling women, if y'all just decided to stop wearing makeup, you wouldn't have to anymore. Just everybody's be like, no, we're not going to do it anymore. I say that and women think I'm a moron. They think I'm absolutely <laughs> stupid. It's like the dumbest thing they've ever heard in their lives. I'm like, but if everybody gave up, they wouldn't have to do it anymore. Like, y'all made this up, not us. Oh, y'all don't want to pray. Y'all don't want to clap to that. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll see. Dudes are already there. The only problem is now we just compete on other things, like your basketball team, right? Like, if your sports team is better, and I like when people are like, yeah, we beat y'all in 97. I'm like, you wasn't on the field, bro. You didn't beat anybody, right? Like, that's just a team that you chose to root for. Fellas so like, ah, my team is one, whatever. Your team, I didn't know you play. You look about 80 pounds overweight. What are we talking about? Did you start playing basketball and I didn't hear about it? Like, oh, it's the team that you root for. I tell you what I do. You know who I root for? The winner. Like, whoever wins the Super Bowl is my team. Because why would you root for a loser? Root for the winner. Now, I'm offending fellas right now by saying this. Like, you got to take the lumps. No, I don't. I can pick whatever team I want. And I pick winners. Listen, I was away from God. Then I found out Jesus was a winner. And I got on the winning team. Right? And now I'm a winner. I just, I just got on the winning team. I will pick a winner. People are like, that ain't your team. It ain't your team either. You don't own it. A billionaire owns it. And you're paying $150 for a $4 shirt because it says the name of the team. Who's really owning who? Come on. Just went to come. I'm sorry. Anyway, so come, some, so come on, somebody. Go to Walmart. Alibaba. Try to wrap this back in. Are, are you all with me so far? So in the church calendar, in the, I'm not wearing makeup. I'll tell you that much. I start talking about natural hair and y'all, and then the daggers come out. So I'm just, I'm gonna leave that aside. I say things like God created your hair and He's happy with it, but oh, watch out. Anyways, so listen, listen. Let, let me tell you how the church, the church completely misses what God is doing in so many of these things. Now, historically, the Church of Jesus Christ Christmas season begins. Watch this on Christmas. So when Jesus comes, we call it Advent. When Jesus comes, we then celebrate it with the 12 days of Christmas. You've heard of that about that, right? Yeah. So you celebrate Jesus' coming for several weeks afterwards. And then we celebrate the Epiphany when the wise men came and found Jesus. So we, Jesus comes, and then we just celebrate it for a long time. The way the church in America does it is we look forward to his coming, he shows up, we move on without him, right? Then we go into the new year and we immediately, instead of celebrating Jesus coming, many churches start fasting. But Jesus said, you don't fast when the bridegroom is with you, you fast when he's away from you. And so instead of celebrating the coming of Jesus, the church in America is like, well, we follow the Roman calendar anyway, so we're just going to start fasting at the beginning of the year. Like, no, we're supposed to celebrate Jesus coming. Historically, the church fasted coming to the resurrection because Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to be beaten, put on trial. He's going to be murdered. And so we 
prepare ourselves for this season of suffering that Jesus is going to go into so we can suffer with him. In that time, we allow ourselves to be purged. Just like he was squeezed in the Garden of Gethsemane, we allow ourselves to be squeezed. And so we have this period that historically is called Lent. Lent is the 40 days leading to the resurrection of Jesus. And so Fat Tuesday is a day before Ash Wednesday, which is the first day of Lent. Now, what happened was people would have to fast for 40 days. Religion took over. And so people decided to get do drunken debauchery the day before which was called Fat Tuesday because they knew they were going to get thin on Lent. This, does this make sense? You get fat on the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday in Lent. But we are going to partake in, in, in Lent in this church. And what does that mean, Pastor? What that means is you're just, in that 40 days, we're just going to be mindful, are we being righteous? Do, are you going to skip meals? I don't know. That, 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 that's up to you. Uh, but what we are going to do is try to be righteous. Now, what people did with righteousness in the days of the Bible is they detached righteousness from how they treat other people and just focused on themselves. And they decided, if I am being good, that's good enough. But the prophets kept saying that righteousness, if you remember, is being light to the world and being salt to the world. And so in, things got so bad, the Jews would often get carried away into captivity. And they were carried away into Babylonian captivity. If we look at the book of Isaiah, I hope you all are tracking with me here. And the book of Isaiah is split into three parts. Isaiah warns about being taken into captivity in the first part, what's called Isaiah's first book. And the second book is Isaiah's writings and releasing while they're in captivity. The third book of Isaiah is, hey, now you're back in the promised land. And what, now you're back in the promised land. You've forgotten all about God again. The blessing came. Just like Duke's word, the blessing came and you forgot about God. You forgot you got to keep the blessing by following God. And in that, Isaiah starts channeling the word of God to the people of God. And he's like, listen, you're supposed to fast and you're fasting, but you're fasting for yourself. You're fasting like just to fight and quarrel. And basically what he's saying is like, it's kind of like a fighter has to make weight. And so you're fasting, you're calling it religion, but it's just for your own benefit. When you're, you're fast, God is like, I don't even... You think you're doing something spiritual, but I don't even receive it. And he says here in Isaiah 58, 6, Is this not the fast I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness, undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Amen. And, and, and so during Lent, this 40 days of Lent, our fasting, if, if the Lord leads you to skip meals, do that. If the Lord leads you, as some people like, they put away sweets or they did just some people just just sin less. Like that might be a fast for you. Like I'm just going to sin less in this 40 days. Like I'm going. But but what we want to do is maybe lean into acts of righteousness, intentionally help other people, and do the things that God calls justice, in accordance with the Old Testament and what Jesus was teaching. You know, help the people around you in this season. Be faithful to God in your finances. You've been coming to this church long enough, so your church, it's time to start serving. Sign up to serve in Revival Kids or an usher or, 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 or as a greeter or the sound team. We have areas there you can serve the Lord right here and increase your righteousness. Are, are, are you tracking with me? And so, so, so we had salt, we had light, and then Jesus uses the law. Are you, you follow? I know there's a lot of meat here, but are you, you're tracking with me. We good, right? We're going somewhere. We're going to be mature in Christ in this house. Matthew 5, 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, 
Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom. Whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, so what, what are we talking about here? Do we need to start keeping the Old Testament law? No. In a moment, we'll find out if you read that scripture without looking at the entire premise that Jesus is making, you'll get the wrong conclusion. This is a premise to a conclusion Jesus is, is making. What he's saying is the requirements of God can't just be brushed off. You can't just say, oh, that's not really important anymore. I, I, I meet with people who tell me, you know, God said that I'm supposed to serve in this church and I'm supposed to be faithful here. And then three weeks later, they're like, I'm, yeah, God just told me I'm supposed to move to Texas. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Did God, like, did he not know that this week was coming? What, what do you think was going to, what do you think, what, what, what do you think? Like, like they hear the word of the Lord and they start following and then they give it up. And, and, and this is what happened to the children of Israel. They came into the promised land and then they just, ah, I guess we don't. They only did what they needed to get the breakthrough. But they didn't do what they needed to keep the breakthrough. That's what God calls being righteous. When you live the way you need to live to keep the breakthrough. And he's saying the requirements of God can't just be brushed off. Oh, you think I've come to do away with the prophets? Oh, I know you think I'm a rebellious preacher. And I know the people are, are scared of me. But I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the enemy of Israel. I'm not the one saying... You'll notice when someone's offended, they'll find every other offended around them and gather them all to bless your offense and your bitterness. That's the devil coming to bless your sin. And Jesus is like, I am not blessing sin here. This is not, I did not come to bless sin. That is not what I've come for. Righteousness is living in the will of God is what Jesus is saying here. Righteousness is being salt. Righteousness is being light in a way that people see God. Righteousness is living in the will of God. You got to work it out. You have to work out your relationship with Jesus. The people who think righteousness is all about themselves have completely missed the boat. They aren't righteous at all. This is what we see, and I'm going to get political, so, so, so guard your heart. But we need to be inoculated from some lies that are happening right now. Christian nationalism is not Christian at all. All right, let me, let me use another example. Let's say you want a Christian plumber. Let's say that your toilet is backed up and when you hit flush, water's coming up instead of going down, right? That's bad. Anybody have that happen? Am I, am, is anybody with me, right? You're following. And you call, like, you're going to fix it yourself because you don't really want to pay anybody. You're, you're working it. Nasty, but you're working it. Finally, you've got to break down and pay somebody to show up, right? Now, the person who shows up, you are paying them, and they show up at your door, and they start preaching to you, about what Christian plumbing looks like. Real Christians have plumbing that goes, you know, falls one inch over two feet. And, uh, you know, real Christians uh, use the, the bowl sanitizers. And real Christians, you know, maybe wipe with right hand and not the left. And real or left and center. Real Christians, you're like, yeah, that, that's good. Are we on the clock? Because I'm not paying you for any of this, right? And then they're there for an hour or two preaching to you about all the bathrooms in the Bible. They have scriptures about every bowel movement in the Bible. It's not what goes in, but what comes out of you that's righteous. And you're like, bruh, the toilet. And then they leave you a bill and they leave. You're like, I'm not paying you to preach to me. I'm paying you to fix my plumbing. Okay, Christian nationalism wants you to believe it's more important what they preach than what they actually do. Like, we're paying you to run the government. 
do that well. That's all I care about. Run the government well. I'm not paying you to do these other things. I got a pastor. And you ain't even been to Bible school, right? But Christian nationalism wants to get power from you for them so they can run the, the, the country like dictators. It's the same evil as socialism. Socialism is a couple people say that everybody else is equal, but they're a little more equal, right? Like, that's how socialism works. Everybody's equal, you know, except for us. We're a little more equal, right? That's how cults work. There's a y'all are equal, but we're a little more equal than you, right? That's socialism, and it's bad. Christian nationalism is we now, instead of having people who know how to run the government well, we have preachers telling us that they're hearing from God and what we're supposed to be doing. I'm like, yeah, no thanks. No thanks. Are, are you following me? I say this not to come against a political party because this is bigger than a party. This, this is about a lie that is being perpetuated that there's somehow your, how you vote has something to do with your faith and none of these people are righteous, not one. Unless I run, there's no righteous candidates because <laughs> I hear from God, right? So, you, so, so this, is, this, is like, this is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. We're, doing, we're saying all the right things, but we're not really doing what we're called to do, right? People who are qualified to do the job, not just people with the right ideology. Are, are, are you getting this, right? And so therefore, he says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. We've got to remember what the point of this is. Come on up, band, if you would. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, he's not saying the law is going away. Watch this. He's not saying the law, like, it doesn't matter what you do. And he's not saying, keep the Old Testament law. He's redefining what the law is. The law is that you would be the person of God toward people in a way that they will see God. Are, are you getting this? So he's setting up these premises. It's foolish to say you're a Christian and not act like a Christian. It's foolish to, for, to, that Christians are supposed to be light and you're not being light. It's foolish to think that you're going to supposed to be salt and you're not salty. This, 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 this is foolish. It's foolish to think that you are a follower of God's way, but you're not keeping God's way. This is foolish. Therefore, what he's building toward, that's his first premise. If you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have to live in a way that makes you a disciple. That's his first premise towards his conclusion that in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. I'm, um, prophets cannot replace your relationship with God. But having a relationship with God does not release you from meeting people with prophetic giftings. And I got, a, I got two very clear prophetic words externally from other people this actually I got three including Dukes three prophetic words one was we're to stand in our identity number two is I got this word from Duke that said the blessing is coming we need to live in a way that we keep the blessing and the third one was because really bad times are coming in our nation if we don't pray and get things right I believe the best days are yet to come. But we're in a scary time as a country and we need to be praying. There's some scary trends happening. There's, there's people who want... You, you know, I, I'm, I'm just... There, there was a congressperson who recently said he'd like to make it up to the states whether or not interracial marriage is legal. 
like, how do you say you're a racist without saying you're a racist? We're, we, 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 we got some, on both sides of the aisle, we got some craziness happening. Like, if you, if you fully identify with one of these parties, you might want to look at what they stand for. I'm on Jesus' side. And so we're about to receive the Lord's table. And what I want you to do is, I want you to make a choice today that you're going to live in God's will. You're going to live in God's will. I hope you'll read the Sermon on the Mount this week. Because right after, he talks about what we call the golden rule. The disciples were like, how in the world can I do that? And right after he says, oh, but my Father will give you the Holy Ghost. He will give you the Holy Ghost because only through the Holy Ghost can you live this way. So people who live with this mantra, you know, do do unto others, just be nice to other people. Like, unless you got the Holy Ghost, you can't even be righteous. You need the Holy Ghost to be truly righteous. In the same way, Paul does his teaching in the Lord's Supper. He said, the same way that I received, I give to you. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave up his body. He said, here, do this in remembrance of me. And then he gives a warning. He gives this warning about discerning the Lord's body. He says, for those who do not discern the body, bring a curse upon themselves. Many are even asleep now. So examine yourself. And people even pervert that teaching to think he's talking about make sure you don't have any sin in your life. When Jesus clearly said, make sure you're not judging other people that you're not supposed to be judging. Saying somebody's not a Christian who says they are. Discerning the body. Discerning the body. What is that? Doing unto other people the way you would have them do to you. It's sin to say someone who says they're not a Christian. You say, no, 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 you're not. Someone who says they're a Christian. I know. They, they just told you they believe in Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so Jesus tells us, listen, you don't got to worry about that. We're all going to sit at the table together. That's his goal, that we all would sit at this table together. With Jesus Christ at the head. And all of us feasting together. The entire book of the Bible ends in Revelation with a, with a wedding feast. You got to be a special kind of low life to cause a fight at the wedding feast. Does this make sense? Stand with me if you would. You know we're doing better. I texted you. First Corinthians chapter 11, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you don't have your communion supplies, we have an usher walking around. Ushers, good-looking guys. 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. So I want you, as we receive the table of the Lord today, I want you to just kind of meditate on Jesus and what He's done for you. And I want you to discern His body, but I want you to discern that you're part of His body. And there's part that only you can do. There are needs right here in this church that only you can fulfill. There are needs in this world that only you can fulfill. And as as we receive the body and the cup of the Lord, we're declaring that his body was not only broken for me, but those God has put in my life who need this salt, light, and to learn how to follow. So Lord, we thank you today. We pray that you would sanctify this. you would be present with us at the table. Wow. And this would be healing to bodies and refreshing to spirits. Whoa, 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 whoa. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would reignite a passion for the Lord in people and that you would bring strong deliverance. Receive the broken body of the Lord. the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and so Lord we do receive the cup of the new covenant right now we thank you for your shed blood we thank you that all our sin is under the blood that our past is under the blood and it's under the blood that we receive your spirit I feel the anointing in this room receive the cup of the Lord
really feel it. I want to lay hands on some people who are like, I'm ready, I'm ready. Like, I need to, like, keep playing. Yeah, don't, don't, don't drop out. Don't drop out. Keep playing. I, I just feel like there's people in this room, like, you, it's time to make a decision. I'm going to be a Christ follower. And I'm following. Keep, 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 come on, Mike, give me something. Righteousness is living in the will of God. And I just feel like in a room this side, there's probably one or two people. It's like it's time. The Lord is working on your heart that it's time to uh, it's time to give your life to Jesus and say, I'm, I'm ready to recommit myself, to commit myself for the first time or to recommit myself. So they're going to come back into this song and I'm going to welcome you to come up. I want to lay hands on you. And some of our prayer team is going to pray for you declare the deliverance of the Lord and the refreshing of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. Ready? Come on, Cynthia. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on forward. Don't wait. more about Lent, but let me bless you before we go. I want you to make a commitment. I'm going to be better this week. Let's say that together. I'm going to be better this week. I'm going to be better this week. I'm going to be better this week. I'm going to be better. All right, let me bless you before we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you. Come on, let's say it together and give you peace in Jesus name. Give a clap off for the Lord if you would please. Hallelujah. We love you. We love you. If you're a first time guest, I will be in the lobby in a moment. I would love to meet you. I think my bride is out there already. Feel free to sit down and just soak in the presence of God or meet somebody you didn't come with. Bless you. Have a great week.
Mm-hmm.